0: September 20th. And now as we turn our attention to the New Testament, our reading today will be from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. Are you standing free? You know, your freedom in Christ is a costly thing. It's not cheap. It cost Jesus his life. In him you stand free. The yoke of the law has been removed. Another question, are you falling? To fall from grace does not mean to lose one's salvation. It means to move out of the sphere of grace into the sphere of law. It means to substitute regulations for a personal relationship with the Lord. Are you running on course or has false teaching gotten you on a detour? This passage we'll read is just full of questions. Are you being leavened? You know, Jesus used leaven to picture sin. Like yeast, false teaching is introduced quietly, it grows secretly, and soon it affects every part of your life. Are you serving others? Freedom brings with it the responsibility to serve. Love motivates us to fulfill the law of God. And are you walking in the Spirit? Life, not law, changes behavior, and as you yield to the Spirit, Christ's life is manifest in the fruit of the Spirit. Law works by compulsion from without, but grace works by compassion from within. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. September 20th, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. For you have been called to live in freedom, not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. But when you are directed by the Holy Spirit, you are no longer subject to the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us—love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here, there is no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or irritate one another or be jealous of one
1: another. We are... We, Christians, are the biggest faith group in the world. Christianity is still twice the size of the next religion at this point. And the only way that we're going to break this is not to say, what's wrong with you secular people? Why are you being so mean to us? Christians have to recognize, number one, that you're a big part of the problem, and number two, that we also can be at the heart of the solution. There are two basic ways of thinking about your self-image. One is what I'm going to call a moral performance narrative. A moral performance narrative says, I'm okay, I'm a good person, I feel significant, and I have worth because I'm achieving something. So if you are a liberal person, and you feel like I'm a good person because I'm working for the poor, and I'm working for human rights, and I'm open-minded, you can't help in a moral performance narrative, your self-image is based on your performance as a... A, a generous, liberal, activist person, you can't help but look down your nose at bigots. You can't help but feel superior to bigots. On the other hand, what if you are a traditional religious person and you go to church and you read your Bible, or you go to synagogue and you read your Bible, or you go to the mosque and read the Quran and, and you're working really hard to be good and to serve God, etc. Now, in that case, you have to look down your nose at people... Uh, Who don't believe your religion, and they're not being as good as you are. And maybe you're just a secular person and you're a hardworking, decent chap. You can't help. If your self image is based on the idea that you're a hardworking, decent chap, you can't help but look down your nose at people who you consider lazy. But the gospel, the gospel is something different. The gospel says Jesus Christ comes and saves you. The gospel says you're a sinner. The gospel says you don't live up to your own standards. The gospel says that you have failed your moral failure and salvation only belongs to people who admit their moral failures. And Jesus came in weakness and died on the cross. And he says, my salvation is only to weak people. It only is there for people who admit that you're not better than anyone else, that you just need mercy. If you have a grace narrative... If you say, the reason I can look myself in the mirror, the reason I know I have significance, is because Jesus died for me, though I'm a sinner saved by grace. You can't feel superior to anybody. I mean, I've got a Hindu neighbor in my apartment building, and I think he's wrong about the Trinity. I think he's wrong about a lot of things. But he could be, he probably is a better father than me. He's probably, he could be a much better man, why? Why aren't you a Christian, he's a Hindu? Don't you think you have the truth? Yeah, but here's the truth the truth is I'm a sinner and I'm saved by grace so why in the world, I'm not saved because I'm a better man I'm saved because I'm a worse man and I, really and so what happens is the grace narrative takes away the kind of superiority and removes that slippery slope that leads from superiority to separation to caricature and to passive and then active oppression, it just takes it away now, Christians, have got to admit, that, to a great degree, we operate out of the moral performance narrative. And we don't have to because we got the gospel. And yet, to a great degree, we do. But let me tell you what happens when the grace narrative is really ascendant. You go back to the earliest days of the church. Here's the Roman Empire, the Greco-Roman Empire, and they believed in pluralism. They didn't believe there was any one God. Everybody had their own God, right? Open-minded. Along come the Christians and they say, Jesus is the true God very very rigid and yet the lives of the pagans and the Christians were different the pagans looked down their nose at the poor Christians loved the poor the pagans were very stratified they never mixed different classes and social strata Christians got everybody together races together classes together the pagans were extremely oppressive to women Christians were much more open to uh, the leadership of women Why would what looks like an open-minded philosophy lead to so much oppressiveness, and what, over here, the Christian, looks like a rigid philosophy, lead to so much peacemaking and so much generosity? I remember uh, not long after 9-11, I was reading an editorial to my wife out of the Sunday morning paper that says, you know what the problem with the world is? Fundamentalism. If you're a fundamentalist, it's gonna lead to, to violence but uh, when my wife sat there and she says that's ridiculous it all depends on what the fundamental is she says have you ever seen an Amish terrorist listen if Amish aren't fundamentalists there ain't no such thing (laughs) but here's what their fundamental is a man dying on the cross for his enemies a man praying for the forgiveness of his enemies as he's dying if that's at the very center of your life that destroys the slippery slope you, need, you don't need less Christianity. You need real Christianity.
0: Psalm 64, verses 1 through 10. We'll read about David's fear of the enemy. The king has to be preserved not from the enemy, but from the fear of the enemy. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. If the enemy can make you afraid, he has almost won the battle. A calm heart makes a confident soldier. And we'll read about the enemy's fear of nothing. They do not fear to form secret plans or lead open insurrections. Their words are like swords and arrows, and they set hidden traps. It really does look like David is defeated. And we'll learn and read about the fear of the Lord. But God is the turning point in the story here. When the enemy least expects it, God shoots at them and they fall into their own traps. All men shall fear, is what the scripture says. And the righteous, well, they shall be glad. Psalm 64, verses 1-10 through 10. For the choir director, a psalm of David. Oh God, listen to my complaint. Do not let my enemy's threats overwhelm me. Protect me from the plots of the wicked. From the scheming of those who do evil, sharp tongues are the swords they wield, bitter words are the arrows they aim. They shoot from ambush at the innocent, attacking suddenly and fearlessly. They encourage each other to do evil, and plan how to set their traps. Who will ever notice, they ask. As they plot their crimes, they say, We have devised the perfect plan. Yes, the human heart and mind are cunning. But God Himself will shoot them down. Suddenly, His arrows will pierce them. Their own words will be turned against them, destroying them. All who see it happening will shake their heads in scorn. Then everyone will stand in awe, proclaiming the mighty acts of God, realizing all the amazing things He does. The godly will rejoice in the Lord and find shelter in Him, and those who do what is right will praise Him. Proverbs 23, verse 23. Get the truth, and don't ever sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and discernment.